0: You know who I bet you is a lizard person? Terry Baudet.
1: It's Friday, September 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and 3D Puzzle Enthusiast, and with me today are Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and the Netherlands' foremost Onion Expert, and Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Problematic Alcohol Drinker.
0: Paul, I have a problem with your title.
1: With my title? Yeah, because you were not that enthusiastic about the
0: 3D Puzzle. You left before we finished. I
1: was very tired. I had a long day.
2: So you were enthusiastic about the puzzle before you actually started building it. But then yeah, when
1: we, when we were puzzling for six hours. I got a bit tired of it. So
2: yeah, so you could talk the talk but you couldn't walk the walk. Exactly. exactly. You yeah. can only
0: take
1: home part of
2: the 3D Big Ben puzzle. You're going to disassemble part of it. So for our listeners, this is a giant 3D not giant, but it's, it's a 3D s- scale model of Big Ben, right? So, yeah. which like the real Big Ben doesn't actually um, have any chimes.
0: <laughs> no. No. Paul tweeted a photo of it this morning yeah. if they want to uh, if they want to go see what it looks like. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, how's your uh, onion situation going Gordon speaking of tweets?
2: Um yes, uh, I you know, I've tweeted a lame joke about onions, which I won't repeat here. Yeah, but, uh, please don't. You can, go and, you, yeah, you can go and look back at my Twitter feed if you're curious about it. Or
1: not. And Molly, you're a problematic alcohol drinker.
0: What's yeah, but that? I think that that could be my job description on the show. <laughs> 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 no, I was just complaining earlier that I was a little—I had been out a little too late last night and had a little too much to drink. So this
1: week we'll update you on the latest political news, give you the latest news in the EBA football match we talked about last week, and what TNS is using to drive away unwanted people from an Amsterdam tunnel. After the commercial break, we'll discuss the health system of the Netherlands.
0: In the seeming unending coalition discussions this week, the CDA and d 66 are reportedly fighting over who will get the coveted finance minister's position in the new cabinet. Both parties have the same number of seats, 19, in the Tweede Kamer. The right-leaning Christian Democrats argue that because they had a higher number of voters, they should get the role. All four of the parties involved in the coalition talks, as a reminder, that is the Day, the Sedea, the Desa and Christian Uni, are hopeful that there will be an agreement by the end of next week, but the finance minister's post isn't the only unresolved issue. They still haven't come to an agreement on the issues of asylum. Plans leaked on Friday morning showed that the parties will invest more money over the coming years in improving roads and waterways, but they are planning to leave pension reform until unions and employers have had more time to come to their own agreement. They have agreed on something else as well. It was reported this week that the coalition government wants to make school trips to the Rijksmuseum and the Tweedekomber mandatory for schoolchildren.
1: So, government-mandated field trips? Yes, that's that's what they can agree
0: on.
2: Yeah. So parties of schoolchildren um, are going to be compelled to go to the Rijksmuseum and look at the company of Captain Franz bunning
0: uh, yes. What, what is the uh, in entire full title of the Night Watch painting, Paul?
1: I have to uh, reopen the Wikipedia page <laughs> for that. It's a very long title, but it, it basically says, uh, "We're going to march." Yeah, yeah. it's it's
0: the larger rep- than the painting is. I it's, think,
1: yeah, actually. it's larger than yeah. the painting. Yeah, yeah
2: it's yeah. basically a bunch of vigilantes going out with their guns into the streets, isn't it? yeah. it's yeah, very so. American of them to Indeed. be honest. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, and the American government has kind of hit a bump about how long immigrants should stay as well.
0: Yeah, plans by the outgoing government to increase the length of stay in the Netherlands required for citizenship or permanent residency are in doubt. The current government had previously wanted to increase the amount of time to seven years from the current five, but the move has lost support from the PvdA, and the bill will be decided in the to Kamer next week. Yeah. It's apparently all coming down to Hank Kroll. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, 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 That's it's never a good idea. No, it's no. always a bad plan. No.
1: And uh, Molly, didn't your president do something terrible this week?
0: um doesn't he do something terrible every day every minute of every day actually this time it was the senate not the president dutch american anti-immigration politician peter hoekstra successfully appeared in front of the senate foreign relations committee in his bid to become the u.s ambassador to the netherlands this means he's quite likely to be
2: confirmed to the post did he say anything remarkable or eye-catching when he went before the senate
0: No, which is impressive because he's quite a vocal anti-immigration politician uh, who is also anti-Muslim. He told the NRC in an interview in 2015 that the Netherlands has many no-go zones where Sharia law is in place, which is obviously untrue. He's also opposed to abortion and gay marriage, so he seems like an excellent choice for the first country to legalise gay
2: marriage. Has he been congratulated on Twitter by Kit Vilders yet? Uh, Is, yeah, they're, uh, they're buddies. Well, well but, but that's going to curse him, surely, because Wilders, um congratulated Frau Petri, the leader of the German AFD party, this week and then uh, about a couple of hours later she walked out of the party. There you go. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> we can all hope that uh, he will walk out of the country. He'll walk out of not my country, also your country. <laughs>
1: well, our country all but, the countries. But, but walked To the West.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh definitely.
1: And finally, there was some uh, bad news for the Dutch military out of Mali.
0: Yes. On Thursday, the Dutch Safety Board released its investigation into an incident which happened in July, where two soldiers were killed and another was injured during a training exercise in Mali. The Safety Board found that there were serious deficiencies in the safety and medical care of the Dutch military in Mali they are there as part of a UN peacekeeping mission.
2: Yeah, and this could have consequences for Janine Hennis, who who is defence minister in the outgoing government and wants to be defence minister again. Of course, this has happened on her watch and she's got a few questions to answer. Yeah, I
0: think so. It does not reflect particularly well on her or the sort of Dutch military in in Mali in general. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. For the first time since euthanasia was legally permitted in 2002, a criminal inquiry has been launched into a doctor who helped a patient to die. The case concerns a 74-year-old woman with dementia who died in 2016. She'd signed a living will in which she asked for euthanasia if her dementia reached the point where she had to go into a nursing home. However, she also stipulated that she wanted to reaffirm her wish to die before the doctor went ahead. The Euthanasia Review Committee, which checks all doctor-assisted deaths, decided the doctor had not complied with the guidelines and has now passed a file to the Prosecution Service, which will decide ultimately if it presses charges.
0: So, Gordon, what was it about this woman's death that uh, that has prompted them to, to intervene here?
2: Well, they're worried because um, for, for a few reasons. One is that the declaration the woman signed, um, they decided was contradictory. She said she wanted to die, but not now. And at later stages, it's been reported that uh, she said she clearly that, that she wasn't at the point where she did actually want to proceed with euthanasia. And they're also concerned because the doctor put a tranquilizer in her coffee um, before he gave her the actual lethal injection. It's quite normal for doctors to administer a couple of drugs like a tranquilizer first to calm the patient, but not usually in this way, that's unusual. So there's questions of whether she had full, she gave full consent. And um, there's been reports the woman's family were holding her down at the point when the doctor injected her. So it, it, there's a suggestion that she may have been in some distress. And the regional euthanasia committee uh, were very keen to point out that it's important that any sense of coercion has to be avoided in euthanasia cases.
1: Um, Can you remind us what the guidelines say?
2: Yes, euthanasia is still officially illegal, but uh, the law that was passed in 2002 allows doctors to carry it out if they've decided that the patient is suffering unbearably and with no hope of improvement, and of course the euthanasia has to be requested by the patient in the first place. They also need to get a second opinion from a colleague who doesn't know the patient, and that happened in this case, and all cases are reviewed afterwards by one of a number of uh, local regional euthanasia committees to ensure that the rules are being complied with. And the number of cases is going up. Uh, in 2016, there were more than 6,000 euthanasia Deaths, and in 10 cases, the review committee decided the rules hadn't been followed. But this is the first case that it's actually gone as far as a criminal inquiry.
0: Well, we'll update our listeners as the the news unfolds and to, to see what happens in this
1: case. Indeed. September isn't over yet but it is already the wettest September since 2001. On average the country suffered 130 millimeters of rain this month, well above the average of 78 millimeters in a normal September. The coastal provinces endured the most rain with 150 to 200 millimeters and some places even saw 250 millimeters. The rain also had an impact on the average temperature with 13.7 degrees centigrade in the build which is 0.8 lower than an average year. September 16th was the coldest. September day ever recorded with only 12.9 degrees measured in the build.
0: Can you remind our listeners what De Bilt is, Paul?
1: De Bilt is a town in the province of Utrecht, and it is where the Royal Meteorological Institute is located. And from there, they measure all the temperatures and all the rain and everything. So whenever there is an official weather situation going on, it has to be in De Bilt because that's where they are headquartered.
2: Wasn't there a situation this year or last year when there was a day when it was officially an ice dock, which means it stays below zero all day because it stayed below zero in De Bilt, even though almost everywhere else it got above zero? Yeah, Yeah. these kind of situations uh, occur, sometimes you have it
1: all the way around, so (laughs) the the entire country is, I don't know, freezing or snowing or whatever, but it doesn't snow in the build particularly, so it isn't a snowy day.
2: And of course, we still have two days left of September, so um, what's the weather looking like for the weekend?
1: Unfortunately, the weather isn't looking great the coming weekend. The last remains of Hurricane Maria and Lee are expected to arrive in Europe this weekend, so lots of rain is forecast. But on the bright side, this will make the September rain record even more impressive.
2: So it's not global warming so much as global soaking. Yeah, Mm -hmm. indeed.
1: The Dutch Railways announced a rather creative way to drive away youth gangs and other undesirables from a tunnel at Amsterdam Central Station. In the morning from 5.30 to 8am, and in the evening from 9pm to 1am, music from the Efteling Amusement Park will be played in the I Passageway. The music is played on repeat, and that's meant to annoy people that hang around in the tunnel and encourage them to leave, while people passing by will not be hindered. At least that's the theory. The music includes all-time classics from famous rides such as Fast. Va- Villa Volta, Carnival Festival and the Indonesian Water Lilies. Some people in Amsterdam enjoyed the music so much that they organized an Efteling music dance event in the tunnel this Friday evening. With the irony of course that in this case the Efteling music attracts people rather than drive them away. So uh, Molly. Gordon, what are your favourite Efteling
2: songs? We have confessions to make, Paul. I've never, ever been to the Efteling. I've also never been to the Efteling. Never? It's worse in my case because I actually have children and I haven't taken them to the Efteling either. You're a very bad parent, Gordon. I'm depriving my Dutch children of uh, a much-needed bit of culture. I imagine that the coalition agreement will stipulate that it's compulsory for children to go to the Efteling. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, And uh, and look at uh, Monsieur Cannibal, who is absolutely not a racist. (laughs) Not
0: in any way, shape (laughs) or form.
1: But it's a nice song, though is that your favorite song
0: it is
2: my favorite song to be honest yeah it's in french
1: though
0: but paul aren't other stations using like somewhat similar solutions to do this
1: uh yes indeed for example the hague holland sport station also plays music to annoy people but they are using classical music instead
0: i think they should just play despacito on repeat (laughs) that will annoy everyone (laughs) exactly
2: In sport, Feyenoord are in need of a miracle after losing their opening two Champions League matches. Unfortunately, Jesus is already playing for one of the other teams in their group. Gabriel Jesus of (laughs) Manchester City. The Rotterdam side lost 3-1 in Naples on Tuesday night, with Jens Tornstra missing a penalty into the bargain. Coach Giovanni van Bronckhorst said afterwards that individual mistakes cost his side the game, but he didn't name names. One consolation for Feyenoord's fans was that none of them were in the stadium to witness the debacle, and that's because the city of Naples banned the fans from buying tickets, mainly because the last time Feyenoord played in Italy, their supporters smashed up the 500-year-old Bacaccia Fountain in Rome.
1: Well, the <laughs> Feyenoord fans have a history of uh, destroying fountains. I believe every t- every time Feyenoord wins a match, they destroy the Hofplein uh, Fountain ah. in Rotterdam.
2: But then it gets rebuilt by 9 o'clock next morning. So it's <laughs> yeah, <good>. that's true. <laughs> yeah, But there was better European football news for Ajax this weekend. Yes, Ajax made a profit of nearly €50 million Euros last season, which is almost entirely due to the fact that they reached the Europa League final, where they lost to Manchester United. But unfortunately, this year they're out of Europe already, and as a result they expect to make an operating loss although that's been offset by the fact they sold Havison Sanchez to Tottenham for 40 million euros so
0: the Dutch are better business people than the sport people? Yeah. Yeah, yeah selling
1: people we, we like to do
0: that yeah, yeah you guys are good at that yeah. there's been an update on our favourite penalty scheme right Gordon? <laughs> the ABBA penalties
2: saga yes the ABBA penalties uh, saga which last week just to update listeners we brought you the story of the referee who decided for reasons unknown that the penalties at the end of a drawn match in the Dutch Cup should be taken in a different order instead of the normal method where the teams take penalties in turns he used the ABBA system where team A takes one penalty and then team B takes two penalties and then they each take two so that neither team has the of going first. But the Football Association, the Canfé Bay, ordered the penalties to be retaken, at which point the team that won the ABBA shootout, FC Lisa, lodged an appeal through the courts, and that means a judge will decide the case on Monday. And now there's been a further twist because the fan, Canfé Bay, wanted the penalties to be retaken on October the 4th, but UEFA, European football's governing body, has hired the stadium already for that date, so the kicks will have to be taken on October the 11th, if they go ahead at all.
0: Does this mean that this uh, ABBA saga is going to go on and on and on?
2: I thought we'd used all the other panels last week. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think so too. But but, but knowing you, knowing me, there'll be more.
1: (laughs) But I think there is an obvious solution here.
2: I think so too. Why can't they just have the penalty shootout in the courtroom? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Solid legal advice from the Dutch News
0: Podcast team. (laughs) The Telegraph reported this week that authorities in Amsterdam have been cracking down on oversized terraces. They looked into 166 terraces in Amsterdam located on the Spau, the Domrock, Herrenstraat and more and found that 79 were taking up more space than permitted. According to Amsterdam city ordinances, terraces must leave at least one and a half metres of walking space. In some locations it is actually wider than that. 45 of the cafes were given warnings, 11 will be given fines and another two were already fined.
2: And what kind of level of fines are we talking they're not Mm -hmm.
0: insignificant they range from uh, 2500 to 5000 euros depending on the infraction and if the
1: cafe has been cited before how does this year's uh, citations compare to previous years
0: well it's up quite a bit from 2016 when there were 44 violations but it's down from
1: 2015 when the number was 119 The collapse of an Eindhoven Airport parking garage was caused by heat stress, exacerbated by a design fault. An investigation which was released on Tuesday concluded. The five-storey parking garage collapsed while under construction in May, but was due to be opened in a matter of weeks. Nobody was injured in the incident, which happened in the weekend while nobody was on site. The Ministry of Internal Affairs has urged all municipalities to double-check all buildings that used similar prefabricated floor panels. It's yet unclear who is responsible for the collapse.
0: Well, they were lucky. No one was injured.
1: Yeah, I think we really escaped the disaster here because if this building was opened and was in use and, you know, we had a sunny day a few weeks later, then we would have had a lot more casualties.
2: This investigation was carried out jointly by the airport and the construction company called BAM, who might want (laughs) to change their name after this maybe, but uh, has anyone said anything about how this design fault uh, came about?
1: How I understand it is that they didn't put a sufficient amount of reinforcement into the floor panels, and when the floor panel heated up by the sun it wants to expand and wants to arch mm-hmm. and so the reinforcement wasn't sufficient enough to carry that load and then it just collapsed
2: yeah so uh, as i understand it the, the top side of the panel became much hotter than the underside, and yeah. that so caused heat stress yeah so the crack. top side wanted yeah.
1: to expand and the lower part didn't so then it collapsed
2: yeah, yeah. But i have to ask you as an engineer how, how can somebody design a floor panel that can't withstand the heat of a dutch summer day
1: yeah usually they take this into account but when you don't put enough reinforcement into the floor then uh stuff like this happens. Usually they take it into account though.
0: So maybe we shouldn't let Dutch structural engineers build buildings that are going to sit in the sun (laughs) in the same way we shouldn't let Italians build trains.
2: BAM say they've reviewed about another 20, is it, buildings that had this construction as well and uh, they say there's nothing, no cause of concern so far.
1: BAM uses this uh, technique a lot. So uh, they checked the buildings uh, where they use these floor panels and they claim uh, these buildings are safe. But again, uh, the Ministry of Internal Affairs thinks it's uh, reason enough to double check all buildings. So uh, we have to wait and see.
2: Better news for the Dutch gas industry this week, with the discovery of a substantial gas field 20 kilometres north of the island of Schiermonnikoog. A consortium led by Hansa Hydrocarbons said initial test drilling indicated the field contains 60 billion cubic metres of natural gas. Which sounds impressive, and to remember that's less than three years' supply at current levels of extraction. Part of the field is in German waters too, so that means there's actually less for the Dutch to extract.
1: Will this make up for the last revenues in Groningen?
2: Well, it's certainly a much needed boost for the industry, which has had to scale back gas production in Groningen and compensate homeowners after decades of drilling destabilised the ground and caused a series of earthquakes. The government's ordered the amount of gas extracted to be cut from October this year by 10%, uh, down to 21.6 billion cubic metres. And it's going to cost it hundreds of millions of euros in lost revenue, so the fact they've found a new gas field might uh, potentially offset that a little.
1: I wonder if we're going to have uh, earthquake-induced, bother uh, say, tsunamis. Yes, well, no th-
2: th- that'll be fun. Good, good news for surfers. Yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: We'll be discussing the Dutch health insurance system after this word from our sponsors.
0: Here in Holland is a new podcast for internationals living in the Netherlands. It is a twice weekly podcast which focuses on the stories of internationals and experts. The podcast covers topics from manners to chance encounters and they interview the Dutch and non-Dutch alike to get their insights, advice and stories ranging from the funny to the sad. Here in Holland is currently creating an entirely crowdsourced podcast and welcomes your submissions. You can send your stories via WhatsApp. Find more information on their website www.hereinholland.com The podcast is available in iTunes and other podcasting apps. If you're interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcasts at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates.
1: In the days before Princesdag, the government's plan to increase the own risk or eigen risico, to almost 400 euro was leaked. The plan was highly criticized by the media, the public, and political parties, who feel another increase in healthcare costs is unnecessary and unwanted. The new-to-form government reacted by cancelling the plan. Instead of increasing the eigenrisico, the insurances were set to be raised by 10 euros a year, but that plan was rejected. Instead, the 140 million euros it will cost to freeze the eigenrisico will be paid by the government. In an unprecedentedly fast procedure of only a day, the new law was accepted by both houses of parliament, both with the smallest possible majority.
2: So as every year, this question of the eigenrisico has come up and there's been a big political football. Um, so first of all, let's uh, explain exactly what, what it is.
1: So everyone has a basic insurance uh, of which the uh, content of the package is decided by the government. And then you can have uh, optional additional insurances. The eigenrisico is the first part of a person's health care bill he has to pay by himself before he can make an invoice at the insurance company. When this eigenrisico system was installed, uh, it first started with 150 euros in 2008. Mm. It was increased by almost 150 euros in 2013 um, to 350 and now it's 385. The, The plan was to increase it to 400 euros next year. But that plan has been cancelled.
2: And that's because uh, a lot of the political parties and um, the patients' interest groups were, were against uh, any further increase. Yes, yeah.
1: because, well, it started with 150 and now it's almost tripled to 400 euros. So people thought enough is enough. And you can increase your uh, uh, eigen risiko
0: to uh, offset the some of your uh, to lower your monthly premiums right so you can you do have the choice I mean I have you know taken this choice mm-hmm. where you can gamble and sort of say I don't think I'm going to get sick so I'll put the I can risico up higher and then in exchange the insurance company will lower your monthly premiums
2: yes because there's less risk to them so they're allowed to you know, say so you're allowed to kind of buy extra uh, yeah, And the gamble is if you get sick and this calculation has been done, uh, I think, that then actually that, that doesn't pay for itself. So you're kind of gambling that you'll stay healthy for 12 right. months. Uh, yeah,
1: and the problem with this eigenrisico is that surveys show that people are uh, avoiding the doctor in fear of uh, having to pay so much money for their eigenrisico. So I think that's a really big problem if people stay home and do not go to see a doctor. They uh, think the 400 euros is too much.
2: Yeah, and in the long term, that's not really a saving, is it? Because people wait until they get really seriously ill, and then they go to the doctor, and of course the treatment is much more expensive and likely to be more, you know, kind of long-term care than if they'd uh, gone in the first place.
0: But I wonder about some of this because, so like, I'm not—I mean, I'm I'm certainly not an expert on the Dutch health insurance system, but I'm pretty knowledgeable my my own health insurance system here and that like you know basic doctor's visits so if you know if you get sick it, like a, a, a basic illness right like a cold or a flu or something like this and you go to the doctor it's always covered it, it doesn't yeah. come out of your eye the house
2: it arts is always covered yeah, right. a it's a are free but I think uh, the, the uh, if you're if if you're worried that you're seriously ill, you, if you think you've got something like say a a cancerous tumor, then you will put off going to the doctor because you're worried that you'll get re- sent to a specialist, you'll get referred onwards, and at that point you have to pay, so you don't go make the trip to the uh, to the family doctor in the first place. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think that that is uh, it's not good to sort of disincentivize people in that way.
2: That's problematic, but
1: uh, if you. If people were presented with the actual cost of a medical procedure, then they would realize that this 400 euros or 285 euros isn't that much to pay. If you, if you ha- have a cancer treatment or, uh, or something else, then the costs are enormous. And then compare these costs to the 400 euros, then it's not that high. So I think people do not have insight in what medical uh, procedures actually cost.
2: Yeah, I think the the issue really is how you, obviously, ultimately medical care has to be paid for. And the question is how you you finance that and how much the cost comes back to the patient and how much it's provided by wider society. Because in the end of the day, whether you got sick or not is largely a matter of luck. So you don't want yeah. to go into, say, the American health healthcare system, where often people have to basically pay cash. Yeah. So if you get cancer, you're as well as being extremely ill, you're also bankrupted. Yeah. You know, so in most countries, they try and devise a system where the cost is spread evenly, so that you know, debate always comes back to say it's the healthy pain for the sick, whereas in reality, of course, you know, people are variously healthy and sick during the course of their lives. But it's trying to offset that situation where you know, if you get ill, it also gives you a massive financial hit.
0: It's also kind of interesting because it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like a whole lot, 385 euros. Mine, mine is a bit higher, but you know, I'm a fairly financially stable uh, person and- uh, Only financially. Only financially. Mm. Certainly not when it comes to alcohol, that's for sure. <laughs> but that, you know, my monthly premium, especially having come from the US where it's much more expensive to get healthcare, it, do, it doesn't seem like it's that expensive. Which leads me to question exactly how they are financing this healthcare system here, because a great deal of it actually comes from taxes. And so we were discussing earlier about how a large portion of the health insurance system here is subsidized by the government, and that you know ultimately you're also paying for that because we're paying for it in mm. our taxes, which have gone up. So it's not just the the eigenrisiko and the, your premiums, yeah. although. I guess we'll discuss that they're going to cut one of the health insurance companies is going to cut their premiums by 50 cents. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's also that your taxes have gone up, which is, yep. you know, sort of a, a backdoor way of, of, of increasing your health care costs. Yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. Often the, a lot of the political debate does focus on this uh, question, of the actual risico and what level that should be at. And also whether the premiums go up and down. Whereas in reality, as you say, around about half of the spending on health care actually just comes from people paying taxes uh, through their employment. So, one yeah.
1: way or another, you are paying for your healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think
2: uh, I read this week that although the um, Akrokizika is being frozen, again, the cost of that is being paid for by the government, which, again, ultimately comes from taxpayers. And actually, the net um, effect is that people are going to be paying on average 70 euros more next year for their healthcare. care yeah. uh, when you add up all the various sources of funding.
0: And healthcare costs are just going to continue to rise because mm. here, like in many places, there's an increasing number of, of elderly people who, who cost more um, and people are living longer, which means that over their lifetime, they're they're spending more on 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 health insurance and health related items and also that like you know new technologies and these sorts of things also cost more money and so this means that you are going to be spending more money on average on your population to to treat them for things yeah and
2: people who get sick um with serious illnesses like cancer uh, are surviving longer so that what was once a fatal illness is now a chronic illness which means that you live longer but that means you need you know you you need follow-up care you need you need drugs you know if you uh, many cancer patients have to take medicine for five or ten. Years afterwards, and that will cost money as well,
0: right? So, how do the uh, political parties sort of stand on this, Gordon? I mean, who kind of wants for people to pay more? Who wants for people to pay less? I'm sort of curious.
2: Uh, during the election, several parties said they wanted to either freeze the ecoziko or reduce it. And two of the parties in the coalition right now, the 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 CDI and the Christian Union, they wanted to reduce ecoziko to uh, by about a hundred euros. Uh, Was the Feifei Dei actually were in favour of it going up because the favor day think that you should pay more for the cost of your own healthcare when you get sick. Parties like the on the left, like the SP and the Peifei in general think that the Eiche Risiko should be less and the general cost of uh, healthcare as prov- funded through the tax system should be higher. The uh, Labour Party, when they joined the last coalition, came out with a plan which would have made... Um, health insurance is much more kind of income-dependent, a much more dynamic system, so the more you earned, the higher your uh, premium. And that was actually scuppered by the fei Day in the early days of the last coalition, almost brought down the last government in its first few weeks. Um, so what you now have is a system where, rather than your uh, income directly having a bearing on how much you pay, you have a system where everyone pays the same, but then about half of people get this thing called the zorg which is a, a kind of benefit or a rebate that covers uh, people on lower incomes um, and protects them from uh, rising, uh, yeah, from having to pay too much for their healthcare. So, so it's a kind of indirect um, means-tested system rather than a direct one.
0: So, Paul, you were saying as a broke student that you uh, qualify for this um, and that it offsets quite a bit of your monthly premium. But I was also surprised to discover that my boyfriend, who has a very good job, um, also still qualifies for a bit of the uh Zorg um, Tuslach. it's it's smaller I think than what than what Paul qualifies for, but which seems kind of crazy to me, but I'm sure he's happy about getting that offset.
1: Of course. And of course, we have the SP, uh, who is proposing a National zorgfonds, which is basically a single payer healthcare system. And they think that it will um, solve everything, even though we had this system before. And there were a lot of problems with that, too.
2: Yeah. And there were waiting lists. And there was, uh, I think, uh, just by everyone who made projections of the cost of healthcare said it wasn't going to cover... Um, yeah, cover the cost yeah, long costs. Yeah, costs would go through the roof. Yeah, costs would go through the roof, and yeah, and yeah, it would become unaffordable. Yeah, a long time. A lot of the kind of criticism of the system is that uh, you have uh, this enormous number. I think more than fifty um, insurers uh, that you can choose from, but you only get one opportunity in the whole course of the year to choose your health, to change your health insurer. So around about mid November you start getting enormous amount of literature through your door from health insurers uh, urging you to change your provider. Yeah, there's an extra cost in terms of advertising. Um, yeah, the cost uh, for so advertising,
1: anything. they will, of course, uh, yeah. put that into in the, in the insurance um, money.
2: And uh, also, it, it, it's kind of a quite complicated system for the patient, because you have all these different providers who all offer the same basic health care package, but for different prices. Yeah, And then all kinds of various types of supplementary care, which you have to sort of read through and decide, what you need. I, I took out supplementary insurance this time because my eldest son um, was recommended f- for uh, a visit to the orthodontist uh, to see if his teeth needed to straightened and that's quite, quite a high cost. Uh, but then he got the appointment and it's not until next year. So uh, yeah, yeah, but, there yeah, we are. but Yeah. yeah but, so you have to sort of go through all your various... Care, you, 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 do a, you have to do a kind of almost like a, an assessment of your healthcare needs to decide what insurance you need. And what a lot of people don't realise, you can actually take out the two parts of your health insurance from different health insurers i did not know this until <laughs> yeah. you just told me yeah. and almost nobody does this yeah so actually you can pick the cheapest one for the basic package because it's um it, it's the same level of care for everybody and then go to a different provider for any kind of extra care you need like yeah. physiotherapy that's a
1: free tip from the Dutch NIF podcast indeed
2: yeah
0: but i think one of the things you know we were talking about this the single payer system so it's a bit but it's a bit of a challenge because of course you know there's lots of different versions of uh of of healthcare systems provided in different countries and they all seem to have their problems and there's been a number of studies done which sort of shows that the dutch kind of come out fairly close to the top in terms of of quality of outcomes um especially versus cost here so while it is frustrating and i certainly would wish that you know there are some things that that could be fixed i do you know sort of wonder if maybe we've just got it you know, pretty good, I guess.
2: Yeah, kind of sp- spoil. I can't spoil it. Certainly when you go into hospital, there are complaints on that front. I think there's just a, a few anomalies of the care system, like this fact, you know, d- you only have this one window in the course of the year to change your health uh, insurance provider. So, you know, if you get sick in February, you've got to wait um, 10 months to take out a different insurance package uh, Rather compared to somebody who gets sick maybe at the end of November. So slightly st- strange. Another sort of um, slightly anomalous situation is that the budgets for... Um, the actual hospitals and the care providers are set at the beginning of the year and you tend to find that quite often nine or ten months into the year they find they run out of money they've they spent all the all their allocation and so at that point if you then need an appointment or you need any kind of treatment that's expensive you have to wait until the start of the next year before you can access it yeah
1: which seems kind of silly and yeah, well, yeah. Not but even you know. though we don't have it that bad here in the netherlands there are still some points that need to be fixed Yes, Mm -hmm. I would agree with that.
0: And also that Dutch doctors are like unwilling to give painkillers for (laughs) any sort of thing. They they, only
2: do that to you. Yeah,
0: apparently.
2: Yeah. And
0: and mistake me for a sex worker.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a whole different story, yeah. So this health
0: insurance discussion was prompted though because uh, who is it? DSW announced that they're cutting their premiums by 50 cents a month, I believe. Yeah,
2: so 50 whole cents. Um, But it was a surprise because everyone expected that the premiums would go up. But DSW say they're going to cut their uh, premium and they're also going to cut the Ico-Risico, um, yeah. they've used a sort of slightly um, technical device to do that because officially the ico is set by the government, but you can, as an insurer, exempt certain patients and they sort of create a situation where they have basically exempted everybody so a cut the by 10 uh um, by, by 10 euros they created uh, a
1: legal loophole to avoid yeah the basically so the
2: people paid less to them yeah ah. yeah
1: it's a weird situation <laughs> a yeah. yeah but that shows how uh, how people are opposed to the risico so mm. even though officially you still have the risico these insurance companies they come up with all the, all these kind of constructions to make people believe that they don't have to pay the risico
2: yeah, it shows what a kind of real, as you say, what a real kind of symbolic thing the acquisical has become, yeah. as, uh, even though, as we say, it's it's only a very small part of the uh, total healthcare care bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yes, so DSV have cut their premiums, and uh, th- the government had anticipated that premiums would go up by about 10 euros a year, Um. so we'll have to see what the other insurance do. I think uh, November 12th is the latest date the insurers have to declare what their premiums will be for next year, uh, okay. so people yeah. can start deciding whether to switch or not.
0: So we'll be uh, re-litigating this discussion sometime probably in mid-November. Probably sometime in mid-November,
1: December, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that every week. From, uh, from that day, if there is no coalition formed, otherwise, we will be talking about the coalition.
0: Do you think that we'll have like a weird uh list of odd acronyms to discuss, like we do with the coalition discussion? That I'll have to like memorize, baby day, say oh, the day sister sister Yeah, Christian you have to again. you have to
1: remember all the health insurance companies. and you yeah. have all to fifty, list all fifty-seven. All, all yeah, fifty-seven
2: whatever, yeah. health yeah. insurance yeah.
0: companies. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna start start working on my
1: memorization, guys. But good.
2: Yeah, and you you have to pay less acronyms if you can if you know all the words of Bill homeless as well. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> That's how
0: they, they should give you a deduction if you go to the Rijksmuseum Museum. it's way to calmer, right? <laughs> like, then you just get 10 bucks off your Rijksmuseum.
2: No, it's way to calmer. Your blood pressure goes up and so then you have to pay more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you like us, like us on Facebook, uh, rate us in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. My thanks to Molly Quell and Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week.